I went everybody's head about the bird. Hello everyone to the 50th episode of Everyday Eternal, your favorite biannual podcast. <laughs> I just said to Matt and our special guest Caelan Smith tonight. We got these two fine gentlemen on the cast and especially Matt, like it's so good to have you back. We were getting Thank so you. many messages about like where have you been, what happened to Matt, why did you send him away, has he been like exiled from the podcasting community. Uh, tell us about yourself Matt, where, where have you been? I'm back. Where have I been? Big changes. I moved away from Vancouver in June, and I joined the army. I'd been in the army for a few years. You're in the <laughs> army now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Join the navy. Anyway, point being, uh, I was in the army, but eventually they said, "Hey, you can't just keep going around being in the army without having learned how to kill a man," which is called That's, basic training. Is that how it works in Canada? No. Um, <laughs> you have to so, do basic training. So um, oh, what ended up we happening was I needed to go on this course. This. Pardon? I thought we were going somewhere else. This, so they sent mm. you to, I don't know, Afghanistan and no. <laughs> uh, no, they sent me to Montreal, which is basically Afghanistan, right? It's like French <laughs> Afghanistan. No. Um, so anyway, so basically I sat in these pods with a bunch of people and we learned a bunch of stuff that really doesn't matter and we ate terrible food and we had to run around in gas masks and shoot things and it was okay. It was bad because I didn't get to play magic and I didn't get to be with my spouse, but other than that, I'm back now. But It actually sounds like one of those training levels that you get like in, in shooters like in, in the late 90s, early 2000s. It's maybe. like the beginning of Half-Life where they're like, yeah, go exactly. through this the thing. Yeah, exactly. It was basically the hazardous materials that course. That makes you jump very far. Uh, didn't work for me. No. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I had really bad blisters throughout the entire course. I was in a wheelchair uh, for a week while on basic training. <laughs> so I had two assault rifles in the wheelchair. I was a tactical wheelchair for a week. It was uh, it was a good time. <laughs> so um, at this point, you're like you're like no a minister of war praying uh, minister of death praying for war. I am, I am, I am praying <laughs> for a conflict. Um, inside somebody's mouth as I go back to... So now I'm back and all I do is uh, do dentistry all day, which is pretty great. And it also gives you a lot more time to play Legacy again, right? It does, except the place that I got moved to doesn't have a Legacy scene. Amazing! I mean, this so, is where you come in, right? Weren't you responsible for like creating the the... Seattle, Vancouver legacy scene for a while? I, I did. I was I am the one who started the Vancouver legacy scene back up after a drought of a few years, and that was about oh, a little over 10 years ago. So, however, just due to the number of people that we have on Vancouver Island, it's, it's a little bit tough with the cost of buy-in. However, there are some people with cards, so it's just about getting a regular thing going. So, you just got to run it back and try again. Awesome. And you mentioned that tomorrow is going to be your first tournament in over half a year, right? That's correct. So, yeah, I haven't really played any Legacy since June when we moved. Uh, so tomorrow I'm going back to Vancouver to play in a tournament. I think it's a 1K tournament, so it's pretty small. 
but we're hoping to get, I think, 30, 35 players, which is pretty big by Vancouver standards, and I'm hoping Siege Rhino still uh, crushes Delver in this format, so let's see. Uh, and that's what exact, exactly what we're going to talk about in the second part of this cast. Um, we want to bring you up to speed. We want to, like, see how someone who's been away for, like, half a year actually perceives the changes that we've seen in Legacy over the last about six months, pretty much. But for the first part, we got a special guest tonight. We got the extraordinary Caleb Smith from, actually, I want to say London. I'm not even sure if you're based in London, Caleb. Yeah, it's from London, yeah. Yeah, awesome. We yeah, got thanks you for on, and you, you've been associated with, like, a very special type of deck recently. Like, you, I think you were the first one to actually pick up the card Arc Like Phoenix that was recently printed, and I think it was the latest Ravnica set. And while most people were, like, playing it in standard to a lot of success, even modern, and I even saw Max Gilmer, like, try to break it in vintage, uh, <laughs> yes. you're the one who put in the work for Legacy. Yeah. So maybe tell us something about yourself before we move on to the deck. Um, Actually, where did we meet for the first time? I was just wondering. Uh, probably at an MKM event, maybe. Yeah, so I'm trying I, think, to remember I think it was like in Barcelona, right? When I came to our to our apartment, <laughs> yes, and there were yeah. like eight just... drunk British guys playing, playing miracles against miracles. And I didn't oh, yeah, know no. what was going on. <laughs> oh, and we were watching Anders try and play elves. Oh yeah, that was amazing. End of season playing play, playing elves and horribly failing at that. Watch, watching miracles play try and play elves was a delight. <laughs> oh, that was amazing. Actually, yeah. now that I think about it, didn't you top 8 um, or top 16 the Eternal I, Weekend 2017 or something? Yes, yeah, I, I top 8 that, yeah. Um, it was the one with the weird kind of like top 16 cutoff, then a playoff to make top 8. Yeah, yeah. I remember that because yeah. back then I knew like your, your nickname online was White Faces, and there was yeah. one guy in the picture who was like, unhealthily white like he was so white i thought he was about to die but later on i learned that he was just finished so it made all sense and for like half a year i thought that was you right i remember looking really odd i'd just come from skiing in france and so i'd got sunburn so i was i'd said to my friends i don't really want to top eight because i'm gonna have a picture of my face all sunburned and then obviously i cursed it and top eighted Awesome, yeah. awesome. So, Caleb, tell us, tell us about the the Act Like Phoenix deck. Like, why did you start working on the card? Actually, for our viewers, maybe you can tell us what Act Like Phoenix does in the first place, and then we will talk about the deck. Yeah, so Act Like Phoenix is like three and a red for a three-two flying haste, which is so it's like a delver. But the very important aspect is it says at the beginning of your combat, uh, if you've cast three or more instances of sorceries during your turn, you return it to the, from the graveyard to play. So it's one of these very eternally kind of focused feeling cards. So whenever I see a new set, I kind of look at all the set and anything that looks abusable, I'll kind of, you know, think about. But it, it didn't stick out to me really as a legacy card. I thought maybe there's a chance there's some standard and modern stuff, but it wasn't, I didn't have the idea first. I saw other people playing with Buried Alive, I think in Spanish Inquisition sideboard, which is pretty, pretty cool. I think I saw a screenshot from someone, yeah, just like having that as a sideboard plan. That, that inspired me to... And I work on the deck as more of a pet deck. I had no idea it'd become like a competitive thing as it has done, but it's just completely overperformed in every aspect, basically. How long have you been working on the deck right now? So I think I started working on it at the beginning of December, so about two months now. Okay. So, and you recently yeah. placed second in the Legacy Challenge on Magic Online? Yes, that yeah. was like over 100 players in it? Yes, it was 103 players. The last Sunday came second, lost the finals to a great ant player cyrus coleman gill which i'm sure everyone yeah. knows about very interesting finals but um yeah it's just been overperforming i think i even faced some very bad matchups and it's 
as we've tuned the deck, I've had a very good team helping me work on it as well. And every single little tuning part I'm noticing as we go along, it's almost like, you know, fixing a big machine and when it's going to get oh, there. That's interesting. So who's yeah. on your team? So the very first person I was working with was Power22 Online, who is Pete White from London as well. Oh, that guy, yeah. Yeah, so he's, if you ever play in the Legacy Leagues Online, he's always playing very interesting brews, usually with Brainstorm and stuff. But yeah, he's, his mind is very focused towards the weird interactions and legacy. So he's been <laughs> invaluable. Brainstorm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, he's, he's the one that really, like, we started the deck actually with Dark Petition. Uh, with Cabal Ritual or LED and Infernal Tutor because, because both of those pairings make three mana and a tutor effect to get the ducts together very live. But when you were becoming more like storm focused like that, it was just vulnerable to the same storm hate that storm is, but just it was a worse storm, admittedly. So that's when we became thinking about different axes of attack. And I came up with the Grixis Pyromancer shell as, um, yeah, when you, when you couple a young pyromancer like a go wide kind of board with discard which is a natural synergy and then a graveyard interaction they're fighting on two very very different axes that are just the cards that commonly played in legacy struggle to interact with both at the same time so that's where the kind of beginning idea came from and yeah as i said working and working so yeah, i can attest to that like playing and especially sideboarding against this kind of deck it's so weird to me because like I do want to bring in the ley lines for example, but there's been many many games where I've got the opening hand ley line and I do keep it even though the rest of my hand is only like eh like a five out of ten or whatever, and then just young pyromancer runs me over and it feels it feels so bad because you still have to bring them in, but I do think that something like surgical is probably a little better because it makes you like <laughs> I don't know yeah no because I. I Everybody right now is on Ley Lines, right, on Magic Online because of Black yeah. Red Reanimator, but Surgical is a card that you can still play after you've drawn it, and it's not like this huge 4-mana commitment, and some people can't even cast it in the first place. So I think you're like attacking the metagame from a very, very yeah. interesting spot. I do think the deck is just completely unique in that aspect. It's it's really is mid-range combo. We've I think we've, we've had control combo with kind of like the... Uh, Countertop omniscience decks, I guess, is an example. We've had pairings, but this kind of mid-range combo, I don't think I've come across before. So, um, oh, you yeah, I, elves, then. <laughs> I, I do love elves, draws many cards. But I've I've had friends ask me saying, "How do I sideboard against the deck?" And I genuinely don't know. I am um... I'm struggling to play against it myself. It's hard. So I think that's one of the real strengths of it. Which it wasn't apparent when we first built the deck. Again, we we kind of built it thinking. This is just a very cool interaction. Let's uh, go with it. But no, it's it's just overperformed, which is pretty fun. Uh, the other person who's put in some work at the beginning was Cartesian, who's Mats. Mm -hmm. You probably know him. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, it's like the Leg Legacy Magic Online All Star deck list. It feels like <laughs> yeah. dwarfed in some way. Yeah, Bob was interested in the deck at the beginning. Um, uh, was Bob the guy who wanted to add Bob to the deck? Actually, yes, yeah. <laughs> Funny enough, and and honestly, I brushed off the idea. He suggested it a couple of weeks ago, and I just thought Bob sounds narcissistic. But jokes aside, I thought it sounded a bit slow and clunky. But the the challenge last Sunday was the first time I tried Bob, and I just jammed three of them in there, and he completely overperformed. So I'm pretty sure that's the direction we'll see the deck go in now. Uh, Matt, you were about to say something. I was just gonna say I feel like. Legacy changed, and I walked away, and they banned Deathrite Shaman, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to leave the room, and then I came back, and the room was on fire. <laughs> so, 
it has been on fire for quite a while, but now it's starting to settle down. But yeah, I mean, to, to an outside viewer, I think it very much must feel like that right now. Yeah, it's such an interesting list because I'm, I'm, I'm looking at your list right now and I feel like it's almost like it's a mini Vengevine, right? It's like... Yeah, yeah, you know, it is in a way. It's like it feels like we're going back to 2010 just in a different little, slightly different way. Except for rather than casting creatures, you're casting brainstorms and ponders. Exactly. <laughs> Which is a big upgrade. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's very, very similar to this kind of Vengevine decks. Like, you don't have the power of survival of the fittest, I guess, but uh, I don't know. I've genuinely been blown away by the explosiveness of this deck, especially since the Lotus Petals have been incorporated. Like, I would say it's very hard to see what the deck is capable of just when you look at the list, but when you see it play out, it yeah. really can, like, tussle with decks going to turn 10 plus and like really grind through stuff yeah. you know what i really like the inclusion of young pyromancer like cable therapy because cable therapy doubles as like two spells pretty much when when counting for arc like phoenix and with young pyromancer it's so easy to like double cast it to to get even closer to triggering it yeah what what cabal therapy does in this deck i think it's the best cabal therapy deck i've ever seen in legacy which i know is big words to say but it's it's your discard outlet for arc like phoenixes as well again this wasn't like a easy interaction to spot when we first made the deck but cabal therapy yourself just naming phoenix is it's it's still powerful like it's still a delver coming in with haste and stuff it's and you very often do have like a therapy uh, left over because you're thought seizing you thought seize once or twice then you therapy the rest of their hand and they sometimes just don't have any much of a hand left so you just therapy yourself with the phoenix and go to work it's also interesting that um because of your very low blue count you can't afford to run force and i think you're i heard you talk about that um on another podcast of some friends of ours the eternal girls guys that's like this deck is very vulnerable to top decks like pretty much every deck that heavily relies on on discarders yeah. but do you think that's still like the correct way to do it because like first of all i can imagine being stuck in your hand at times and also like having to change the list quite a lot in order to be able to run it in the first place i think this deck really knows what it wants and what it wants to do and that is like casting your stuff and just trying to get there with what you have available and then like having your opponent miss a top deck like once or twice and in that way it very much reminds me of elves this is like almost like this is like grixis elves to me <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's very accurate it sounds completely how i feel as well like um I, I never actually had four. I tried two or three leagues, I think, with Force In, and they were, maybe it was just variants, and I should test them more, but they were so shockingly bad. Like, the fact that you had to hold back cantrips, like a Ponder which, or a Preordain, which is so key to the deck, like, getting its plan in action. It, like, it just felt like it was going, it was fighting against what the deck wants to be doing. Well, your deck so, seems to be all about momentum, right? You're all about generating, like, card into card into card into card, and yeah. if you're holding up cards to maybe counter something... It's... Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, I, I had such a bad experience very quickly that I just kind of threw them to the wayside. Maybe now that the deck has kind of like picked up and people play it more, maybe we should incorporate Force of Will just because people don't expect it. That was like, a, I wasn't playing Dazes at the beginning, but I knew that I wanted to play Dazes if people learned about the deck. So my plan is to like switch up, especially counter magic suites, as people expect and don't expect things. But um, yeah, the deck is still not even finished, I think. I think what we're playing now is far from well not far from but still not the best version there's about six or seven flex slots that can be worked with at least what would you say um are the matchup that this deck's this deck really destroys and which are the matchups you really don't want to face 
Uh, Grixis control has been by far the most positive. Like, they, they still have the tools to win, but the problem is they're, they're so slow and they have no way to punish you just taking the game slowly. Apart from him, it can be a bit annoying, but you just have so much uh, filtering that you just find the one or two pieces. And one of the other main like strengths of this combo is it's of so, such low resources. I think, uh, to be anecdotal, in the quarterfinals or the semifinals of the last challenge, I mulliganed to five in game one on the play, and they inquisitioned me on turn one, so I was down to like four cards. And turn two, they'd conceded because I had Ponder and just found a dark ritual <laughs> in a very live. I so, guess, yeah. technically, I think this deck is capable of turn two kills. Like, if you get yeah. dark ritual, dark ritual, buried alive in the first turn, you, you attack for nine on the first turn. How, how crazy is that? I, I guess I technically think... there might even be a way where you cable therapy like a phoenix from your hand and attack for 12. <laughs> well, you have three lightning bolts as well. This is a where Lightning Bolt becomes in because it's it's very good in control or against creature matchups or Delver or Death and Taxes or whatever. But against combo, the Lightning Bolt is the, the finishing of a two-turn lethal from the combo. So the Phoenix is attacked for 18 and the Bolt finishes it off. And, like, I guess you did, but have you ever gotten um, turn two kills? With the... Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, people oh, usually can see... <laughs> yeah, no, I think I got, like, five turn ones in the challenge at least. Turn have... once. Yeah, yeah. Well, turn one combos, sorry. Oh, not yeah, ki yeah. Not was, kills. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> oh, no, sorry. Yeah, turn, so turn two kills, technically. But if if you're playing against a non-combo deck, they just can't beat it. Like, Miracles can Terminus, but then you can bury life again and just yeah, get them back out. Yeah, turns on your buried lives. <laughs> yeah. So I think, yeah, FedEx just can't beat it unless it's a very late game. But the, the inclusion of Lotus Petal is what really pushed the turn one potential of the deck. Because uh -huh. very often you have either two of Dark Ritual, Buried Life, or Lotus Petal. And then you ponder or pre-order and brainstorm for the missing piece. And if you find it, there we go. So I think that I can kind of relate to that because like one of the big traditions, I'm going to say, of mid-range combo decks has been that they are usually very, very good against against control decks because control like has problems on a strategic level dealing with this kind of deck. And when you mentioned that like this is good against Grixis control, and I would imagine at least the first game is also pretty good against... Is it, is it actually good against Miracles? Counterbalance is a real problem for the deck. Oh, yeah, I can yeah. see that. So I think Miracles is still kind of back and forth between if they want to play Counterbalances or not, but if this deck really does pick up and becomes like a staple of the format, then I'm sure we'll see them play more of them. But it really revolves around if they can find that or not. And usually you can discard it quickly or you can get a combo under it. But yeah, uh, Miracles is harder than Grixis, but it still felt pretty favorable. I think that's that's just a general thing in legacy yeah. that's going on right now that Grixis is so strong. And the one thing that Grixis has troubles against is like dealing with enchantments. That's why people like uh, on a more general level are playing back to basics and people are like including counterbalance again yeah. and miracles and stuff. Um, that, that's like also like I think Choke is seeing a lot more play than it used to like a year ago or something. Uh, I think that that's like one of the big battles in legacy right now. Absolutely. One I think card I'm seeing oh, is. Uh, Goblin Crater Maker on the sideboard. Uh, mm -hmm. I was looking at that guy. Uh, yeah, that's an uncommon inc inclusion, at least like for for Legacy, but probably not for the stack because I've seen this. I've seen Goblin Crater Maker even played in the vintage version of the stack. Yes. So what is what so is there for? He's he's a little bit slow and mopey, but uh, basically he's mostly for Eldrazi Chalice matchups and Death and Taxes. So the the very key interactions are he gets under Thorn of Amethyst and Thalia against those decks. And he's red to cast against Blood Moons to kill Chalices and Trinospheres. And he can kill the threats in Eldrazi. So 
Eldrazi I was struggling with because they would either have very disruptive heavy draws or very creature heavy draws. And because it, it was very often one or the other, I couldn't really like cantrip properly or guess what they were going to do. Sometimes they just have like one chalice, which you have an answer for, but then they thought not and double smash you. So in that case, you, I don't know, the creator mage just gives you so much flexibility against Eldrazi. So he's been fantastic there um, against death and taxes he can give, be cast through prelate. So prelates give me a lot of problems because they've started incorporating Chalice of the Void in their sideboards. So Chalice of the Void on one, and then prelate naming two kind of shuts off a Braid Echoing Truth. So it was kind of like a, a lock against the deck. So yeah, he's partly for that. And yeah, as I said, notably against Blood Moon decks, you want to be able to cast your things that kill Chalices under Blood Moon. So yeah, so he, he's one mana more than I'd want this answer to do, but he brings so much flexibility. And I, I side the pin against show and tell as well, and I've killed a couple of emeralds with it. <laughs> oh, that, <laughs> so, that's cute. You, yeah. you, should, you know, that's if you do that, like at game. the next big legacy event, if you do it on camera, people will go crazy. <laughs> oh, I will make sure to, like, yeah, <laughs> make it a spectacle. But yeah. So that's his inclusion. I think uh, this, this deck's sideboard is the thing that's been worked on the very least, so it's still really in flux and. This is yeah. what I think the next uh, working on the deck will go towards. I see two Engineer Plague in the sideboard. Do you have trouble against, um, I would guess, Elves and yes. maybe Death and Texas? Yeah, I, uh, they were completely over the top, and it was just, just for Elves because I kept losing to Elves. <laughs> so, but yeah, as you were saying, so Elves is exactly like this deck, so this is the Rick's Elves. I think I really understand that comparison because this deck has trouble with top decks, as does elves against other combo, I guess. So I was, you would discard them, discard them, put them lethal next turn, and then they top deck. Like, well, against elves, they always just top deck the natural order of the glimpse every of single course, time. That, I mean, that's how the deck is built, right? But yeah, <laughs> just yeah. do that easy game every single time. But um, yeah, so uh, I was out on the day of the challenge, and I got back like ten minutes before it started. So I just, I really didn't want to lose to elves, so I just threw them in there. But I'm, I would cut them now. So don't worry about it. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, what are other matchups that you, uh, where you struggle? Uh, the hardest one has been Dark Depths, by quite a lot, actually. Uh, there's no Wastelands in the deck, obviously, so you can't really interact with their land-based combo, and Discard, obviously, can't hit the lands. So, against them, you really need to put them under a quick clock, but they have main deck crop rotation for Bajuka Bog to stop the combo. And in the sideboard, they very often play three or four Surgical Extractions, so they have a lot of interaction for your combo. They have discard to attack your cantrips and critical mass to try and get the combo off and like specific pieces. And they have a combo that is very hard to interact with for us. So um, there's like, kind of like three different versions of depths. There's the bug one, which has been by far the hardest because they have fluster storms as well. They have brainstorms to find the key pieces they need. The turbo one has been difficult as well because they just combo faster but they have less ways to stop you doing your yeah. doing your thing and the turbo one's been the easiest one because they're just slow and they're playing things like dark confident liliana the last hope and sylvan library which you just don't really care about oh you, you mean the the mid-rangey one yeah 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 so, so that's the easier one yeah i, I guess having arc like phoenix like to block the merit ledge a lot of times also helps quite yeah a lot. So it's actually, the matchup plays out, if you can get the combo off underneath their crop rotation or surgical and post-board games, it feels similar to Elves, where you get the combo out, you can block a Merit Lage, you tap them for six, then like block a Merit Lage, you tap them for three, and then cast some things to bring them back and stuff. Um, it's possible, but you still need to fade like a crop rotation or, a, so, or something for a Sidiri step, so mm -hmm. there's still some draw steps to hope you don't die to. 
So you would say you would definitely register this. Like if you had a big legacy event coming up in, in London, say tomorrow, and you had to come up with a list, uh, it would, you would play something very close to this, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll play this at GP tomorrow. Absolutely. Ah, oh, okay. I yeah. think you mentioned on on Eternal Darkness that you would probably play the Dark Confident. You felt very strong about like yeah. including the fourth Dark Confident. Yeah. In place of the. Th uh, well, no, no. I was saying I only played three Thought Seizers in the. Oh, that, challenge. yeah, that was it, right? Yeah, I would definitely have the fourth. Thoughtseize back. That was kind of a rush decision. I think the deck really just always wants to Thoughtseize as early as possible to get information of what the deck's up against and uh, I'll just take their key pieces. But um, yeah, I wanted to play uh, three or four Dark Confidence more to get a feeling of how they were and they really overperformed. So they're taking the slots that I was previously playing Tombstalkers in, which Tombstalker was excellent too. He really helped in the Delver matchup especially, which can be a little bit tough, I think. I would say it's even, I felt slightly favored against the average players, but the good Delver players, I think, will be about even. So what are the good play Delver players doing to, to stop you? What are they doing that's like making you uncomfortable? Uh, it's 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 the exact Delver game plan. So it's a fast clock, so Tomon Delver is always the scariest thing, and then Days, Spellpierce, and Wasteland. Like, <laughs> you can fetch basics around Wasteland, of course, but uh, they really hamper you kind of chaining spells together, so you want to be able to go like ponder and then off the ponder you find either a thought or a brainstorm you want to have the options open to cast whichever one you find when you're chaining these spells into a potential mm -hmm. combo or if you have the phoenixes in the graveyard already you really want the flexibility of a mana base that can cast everything in a chain mm -hmm. so when you're fetching basics it it does hamper you in what you can cast in like one turn which is what the deck's trying to do but you're you're feeling your favorite. Basically, you're supposed to to take on the control ro uh, role in that matchup. Yes, yeah. So uh, so against them, I'm in the process of writing up like a big like cyborg guide or preliminary thing just to because people are asking a lot. But against them, I will take their threats with this card ninety nine percent of the time. Mm -hmm. So if you can stop them putting a clock on you, you kind of new to their soft counter magic. The wastelands uh, doesn't like time walk you, and you can then sculpt to beat whatever the hate they have. Like It doesn't matter how many Force of Wills and Dazes and Spell Piss they have if you're cantripping yeah. to find the Cabal Therapy and you're not dying. So Awesome. I, I think yeah. actually now that I think about it, I might actually give this deck a try. Um, you should. I'll, I'll it, come on stream with you sometime if you want. Oh, we should we should do that, definitely. Yeah. Matt, how do you feel about this deck? Is this like something that would interest you, interest you? Because I know that you're more like into casting Rhinos and big chunk spells or like these days they probably call it uh what's what's the the politically politically correct name for chunk these days abzan abzan yeah exactly Matt, that hurts big me on the right guys. in the core yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is painful it sounds like something right out of harry potter <laughs> i don't know I like, I, I find the deck the is prince of abzan <laughs> like i find this deck is very interesting don't get me wrong it's just surprising how much of the meta changes when you don't have a death right shaman to deal with because obviously like did this deck exist, uh, what, seven months ago? No. Or the card didn't exist. <laughs> oh, well, I, good I, point. Yeah. I think I think the deck probably would very, would really struggle in a death rate shaman meta. So it's so interesting to see that this strategy is, is like really viable and how different it is from the Vengevine uh, way of doing things because obviously being a flying creature and the way it comes back into play, like really, mm -hmm. really interesting. Um, so are the four Tormund's crypts here, like, that's some pretty heavy graveyard. Is that, are you, yeah. expect, like, is that also for the, obviously for the mirror, it's probably pretty great, but do you find yourself yeah. encountering the mirror quite a bit, or? No, I haven't played it, I've only played it two or three times, I think, but the Tormund's crypts are probably the most asked about deck, uh, card in the deck, like, after people get over the, the weird uh, combo <laughs> to begin with. 
But no, every single person is just saying, why aren't you playing surgicals? Because surgical extraction is such a commonly accepted as just the de facto graveyard hate mm. in the format, or ley lines in mostly chalice decks. But because um, this deck plays very little counter magic, you can't really protect your hand against discard. And every graveyard deck is playing discard. Like Reanimator is playing their own Cabal Therapies and Unmasks and whatever. Dredge mm -hmm. is playing Cabal Therapies. So I really wanted something proactive to play out. So it was between this and Nihil Spellbomb, but what won this over was you really, really just have to have this interaction from turn one against Reanimator, especially, and yeah. Dredge. So. It was between this and Leyline, but this just gives you more looks at it. So you can keep a good hand with cantrips, and then it gives you the option to ponder into it and cast it that same turn. Or you can cast it through a Chancellor of the Annex and stuff. I guess one big upside of Surgical is that you can actually use it to trigger the Arc Light Phoenix, like if you have to. But I can totally agree, like, especially when, when it comes to Reanimator, I used to run like up to four Surgicals and even like two Fairy Cups at times. Yeah. And they always have to unmask. Like Unmask is a card that didn't really see any legacy play for many, many years, and now like you definitely have to account for it. And also yeah. judging by, by Eric Lenton's sideboard guide that he put on the internet, I think almost everyone goes by, you never side out Unmask. You can really tell that like this card is so important to them, especially yeah, in post games. Yeah, so I've, I've just generally like really disliked reactive graveyard hate. Um, and so, so the interaction of Surgical being a spell to bring back the Phoenixes is nice and stuff, but the problem is because it's a reactive card, by nature, you're just reacting to what they're doing. But to bring about the Phoenixes, you're just casting on your turn, so it never really does mm. what it's meant to do. It's just then a free spell, and then you're using a sideboard card to enact your plan. Where, yeah. yeah. It, it's an easy thing to point out, but then, yeah, it, it never really did what it wanted to do, and just got discarded every single time when I tried it. But I think oh, Eric is still playing two Surgicals and two Tormod's Crypts. I haven't won him over yet. Oh, Eric but... is on the stack as well now? Yeah, yeah, he's been on it for... Oh, he's he's actually, I think, on the leaderboard. Uh, I think he has like, got eight yeah. trophies right now in, in the last two weeks or something. I think at least half of them are with this deck. Okay, now I think yeah. I really so, gotta try this. So then, <laughs> yeah. so then, reasonably, encountering this deck and the new Reanimator... Well, the, not the new Reanimator deck, but the Black Red yeah. Reanimator deck. Like, what is the graveyard hate card of choice that you would if say for example you have three slots to commit like i'm running three fairy macabs right now but i'm wondering huh maybe i shouldn't be switching yeah. to tormund's crypt i hate to say it because people will listen and then probably do this but tormund's crypt and my hill spellbomb are probably the best cards against this deck like as with all any of the graveyard hit options you can still kind of play it and then lose to the young pyromancer dark confident plan you have to be ready for them as well but something that you can play to the board around the uh therapies and the thought seizes is what you really want i think i've actually had phoenixes extracted two or three times total it just doesn't happen if you're playing properly and you know what you're doing and you just are patient enough against the surgical decks so it's like yeah i recommend things fire. you can play proactively you just got to be careful hmm? it's like when you're playing punishing yeah. fire right as long as you don't put yourself yeah, exactly. in a situation where you're going to get extracted yeah. you typically don't get extracted and nobody's running yeah, extirpate totally. Right? Like, to be fair. Actually, some people started running Extirpate in Storm, I've seen it, yeah. like, where they want to take out the Farsifers of their opponent. But, yeah. I, I got Extirpated in Game 3 of the Challenge Finals. Oh, oh you <laughs> wow. did? Yeah, but but not on Phoenixes. It was a, a weird interaction where I knew his hand had Dire Ritual, Duress, and a Extirpate, and I had two Cabal Therapies in my hand. And so oh, I see, I see. he knew that I was going to therapy of the Dark Ritual because that was the scariest card against me. And he drew a second Dark Ritual for the turn, so he was basically forced to Dark Ritual duress a therapy the next to pay them. Mm -hmm. And then from that, I worked out that he had a, another Dark Ritual. But mm. yeah. 
uh, that XP's an interesting card because you do very often kind of make people tap out and cantrip into answers for your threats, and then you can combo them. And the daze is basically protection against surgical half the time. But extirpate mm. would get around that. Or actually, if you have extirpate, you can just pay the mana for days. But yeah, I'm getting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've spell pierced the days once. No fear. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's, there's fringe corner cases, right? Well, that's yeah. right. I, yeah. I've seen people, right, that's a legend that happened at our star, and I think every star has these kind of legends. Um, so two, two dredge players face off against each other. They both keep seven. One of them plays his first land, cable therapy you, resolves, ley line of the void. <laughs> <laughs> and the other guy is like, so lucky, double hit. What? <laughs> <laughs> I think That's I've amazing. heard this somewhere in the grapevine from someone, but I've never kind of trusted uh, it, but it's an amazing story. It's one of those legends <laughs> that I've been hearing for like 10 years now. I wonder if it's true, but... <laughs> I'd like to believe it's true. Like um, so, Matt, how do you feel about Legacy right now? Because um, we sent you like a metagame overview of what like at least the winning Magic Online metagame is like, like they, on MTG Goldfish. They recently changed their algorithm, the way they both, both Wizards pick, uh, post the decks. Like mm -hmm. they're more handcrafted now, they want to show more variety. But overall, it gives you some kind of impression of which decks are winning quite a lot in Magic Online these days. Yeah, I Do mean, you it's see something that interests you. Um, so basically, like, I'm not sure if I said this before or not, but I feel like the room is on fire. What is happening? Like, Grixis was decently popular when I left, and it seems like it's almost even better compared to the rest of the format now that Death Rite's gone. Would you agree? Uh, I mean, who were Grixis or, like, Checkpire's big, big uh, adversaries before the Death Rite ban? I wonder... But they were struggling against I think like Bloodwing decks were kind of giving them a bit of trouble. Yeah. I, uh, I guess they still do, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't really remember. Like, I think they were just. Pile was so good. <laughs> Pile was really meant good. To be good against, yeah, Depths was meant to be good against them. I think that's where it actually kind of started to come out of the woodwork. It was a really unexplored strategy, and being good against a control deck without wastelands kind of propelled it to some. Level. I guess the deck is still really good, right? You mentioned that there's like many yeah. different versions of, of the back back I, dark depth deck. I really, really respect that deck. I think it's probably I'd probably safely say it's tier one right now. Yeah, I think so, it's very yeah. much tier one right like, now. It's also one what? of the reasons why I've, I'm feeling a little bit better about uh, Assassin's Trophy and Elves right now, because it gives you a way to like blow them out. Whereas that makes sense. like not that good anymore. Something that's surprising me uh, is that I've been seeing a lot of blue-white Stoneblade recently. Yeah, yeah, I was actually just, I was literally waiting yeah. to say that because I saw this and I was like, wait, what is this? Stoneblade is back? What's going on? And I'm, <laughs> I'm actually very, very surprised because considering the fact that Colgan's Command is so heavily played, you would think, oh man, there's no way you could play Stoneforge in this meta. And I'm wrong. It, it is a weird resurgence, but I think the conclusion I've kind of come to, but could well be wrong, is I think Stoneforge is just good against Chalice of the Void decks. And there's been a huge influx of Chalice of the Void decks, at least what I've noticed from playing online. Uh, I don't know if you have noticed it too, Julian. but um, You mean uh, Chalice decks? Yeah. Yeah, I think... It's a, I feel like it's, it's a little more... more um... Okay. But I, I, yeah, I would say so. I think to me, like one of the reasons people play this is 
it's not exactly true for for online because I just saw that it's like online is 500 tickets. I think offline, it's actually one of the cheaper legacy decks, especially if you play it with Back to Basics, which now that it has been reprinted is also like not super expensive anymore. Mm-hmm. And people really enjoy just casting Stoneforge. And I always felt like the only deck that like Stoneforge decks are is really bad against is like Miracles. Um, I think that we've had a period from 2014 to 2000, almost like 17, 18 even, where Stoneforge was almost non-existent outside of Death in Texas, and like it was the slow death of Stoneforge during those times. But now that Miracles has been muted, and we're also seeing a little less like pile, I think people are like they really want to cast their Stoneforges again. And I can see the appeal. Like I really like how like blue-white Stoneblade is actually streamlined. I've never really liked blue-white red Stoneblade, or even like Esper Stoneblade is okay, but. Death Even Blade? though I've been known to really not like Stoneforge because it's the exact opposite of anything I ever want to do in Legacy, which is like speed, put pressure on, like not even in terms of like damage, but in terms of like board presence. I still can appreciate the way the stack is built. It has some unfair elements in like True Name Nemesis and even back to basics. And yeah, the deck, the deck certainly has legs. And I think nobody would really be surprised to see it doing well, especially since it can also run like a pretty good sideboard, like blue, blue and white, like always have had decent sideboard options against stuff like Control and Storm. So needs more meddling mage. Meddling mage. <laughs> <laughs> well, meddling mage is, is pretty much Flusterstorm these days. I would I think. I know. Flusterstorm's like the better meddling mage to me. <laughs> Makes me say it. No, but like I think that's a, like an interesting uh, resurgence there. Like uh, definitely, it's good to see prison. I'm surprised at how well Eldrazi Stompy seems to be doing. But again, just like if Chalice decks are good, then damn. Yeah, here we are Eldrazi, Eldrazi seems to be. Almost criminally underplayed still. I think it's one of the strongest decks in the format, but pride stops people playing it. Myself included. I, I don't ever want to play it particularly. Yeah, it doesn't look fun to me. Chat, right? How Hydrazi seems to yes, yeah. somewhat secretly be very much tier one right now because yeah. like it always gets a lot of flag for being like oh the stupid Chalice Speeddown deck whatever, but it it really it really does well. Uh, even though it, it doesn't show in the most recent numbers, I think it definitely is tier one. I, I remember. Completely. I remember I was for a few weeks back in again June of last year, so again different meta, but similar, right? Death Rite still existed, whatever. I was playing Eldrazi Stompy because, you know, I was coming from school to the tournament and I couldn't always bring my cards with me to school, so I would always just borrow a friend's Eldrazi Stompy deck. And you know how many times I went like 4 0, which is all the rounds that we could play, so. Unfortunately, <laughs> the answer is like multiple weeks in a row, I was crushing people with Eldrazi Stompy, and it's I hated playing that deck every single time, but it felt good to win. So I was like, I was torn. Like, do I keep playing this? And the answer is, I, I moved, so I didn't really. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't have to to answer that. Exactly. So, however, the deck is extremely powerful. However, it feels. Like you guys said, you, there's a little bit of a pride thing of like, Ech, I'd rather be doing, if I'm going to be playing Legacy, I'd rather do something more interesting. I can appreciate that, but like, if I arrived at a point and I was like traveling to a big tournament and I wanted to do well, I think, I, I'm, I don't know if that's true for you guys, but I've never in my life been at a point where I was like ashamed of playing a deck because it was too far, powerful. I would actually, it's more the, of the opposite. I actually feel proud for choosing a deck that's like looked down upon, yet I still figured out that it's strong enough, so I want to play it. So that even though like as much as I, 
Okay, I'm not going to say that. Um, Owen Turtlewald <laughs> once said, like, when he played Mono Black in uh, Theros Standard, when people were complaining about, like, the power level of uh, Mono Black, yeah, of, the, of that deck, he was said, you guys are stupid. The skill in this deck is to figure out that I want to play the deck. And I think that's mm. something that's a little bit unappreciated at times. Yeah, I definitely agree with that sentiment. It feels I a little think, bit... Uh... Oh, sorry, Matt, go on. I was just going to say, Mystical Tutor comes to mind in the whole, like, Gentleman's Agreement <laughs> oh, BS that was argument. Years ago now. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Sorry, continue, Gil. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Yeah, uh, there's a... Max, who we spoke about earlier, playing his Vintage Birds. He's always been a very strong person who says... Um, you don't get points for playing a hard deck to play. You get points for winning a match, and it's 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 a very simple way of saying it, but it's true. And I think, yeah, it's it's basically reaffirming what you were just saying. Yeah, uh, something else that came up in blue chat, uh, I think, a couple of weeks ago now, uh, was when Eric Landon dropped the bomb on everybody, especially in, in a chat dedicated to playing blue decks, that he feels that the metagame right now is set up in a way that like all the blue decks they want to play against each other but they don't want to play against the non-blue decks like you know Eldrazi Stompy, Monorad Prison, Elves, Dark Depth decks and they just want to be left alone like they want to do their blue thing against each other play this this well, blue game but once like then almost like I want to call it an external shock comes in they they are a little bit more helpless than they used to be do you, do you feel the same about that? Yeah, I feel the same way. I think I think Greek's control especially has been feeling a lot of this hate. Like as you were saying earlier about enchantments being good against it, like choke is punishing, chalice is punishing, blood moon is very punishing, uh depths with like their land based combo is punishing against Grixis. Miracles has slightly more tools, but it's still, you know, getting hit hard by chalices and chokes and stuff. So yeah. And like Eldrazi post has become like a real thing as well in the last couple of years. And that's just amazing against control decks, which the blue decks have now just kind of moved to being mostly control, even away from mid-range to an extent. Yeah. So do you think that's also like a factor of the non-blue decks getting new tools, becoming stronger? Because I honestly feel that even though Elves, for example, is not as strong as it used to be like when it, I think, very much was a tier one deck, when like tier one was like Miracles, Shardless, Elves. Uh, I think it's still much better than something like a year ago, and especially like all the, the Grixis decks, unless they overload on AF side, which some of them sometimes do, uh, you're feeling really comfortable playing against like Grixis decks that that are playing their normal mid their normal game, if, especially if you like come up with a list that's dedicated to grinding them out. A lot of people, especially in the Elves Discord, feel pretty good about that. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, you're also like you've always traditionally been really good against any kind of Stoneblade deck, but which is new after the ban of um, Sun's Dividing Top, like last year. Actually, it's now it's two years ago, even though it's, it's been a while. Yeah. Also, Miracles is depending on whom you ask, like slightly or very much in favor of Elves. So. I feel like the, the non-blue decks, also like a lot of the dark depth decks we mentioned, have caught up quite a bit with the blue decks who didn't really like. What what's the what are the last really big meaningful inclusions for quote unquote blue decks that we've gotten over the last years? Well, I was going to get to a point where I think, well, uh, Grixis has lost Deathrite Shame and Miracles has lost Top, the arguably the two best cards in their decks. Well, you're right. Like we've seen these colorless decks get the Eldrazi, you know, the Great Watch. We've got Walking Ballista. They've got, I guess, uh, Sorcerer Spyglass. Uh, the Blood Moon decks got Legion Warboss recently. Like, there's a lot of new inclusions, which maybe they're not creating new archetypes, like, but they are still, you know, powering up these decks enough, yeah. while the blue decks are losing some key pieces. 
Death in Texas yeah. gets like every uh, every set Death in Texas gets like two two cards that everybody God. gets excited about that, that nobody plays. Well, I'm and just waiting for the rest in peace bear to be printed, and then the yeah, they're, they're going to eventually get a bear for everything, aren't they? But yeah. So how does Sea Trino fit into all of this? <laughs> uh, Matt has been known to like be a connoisseur of fine rhinos for That's quite true. a long time now. And if we ever see somebody break Sea Trino with Splinter Twin, it's probably going to be him. Matt, are you, are you actually on a on a Sea Trino deck for tomorrow? I am, in fact, on a Sea Trino list for tomorrow. That's <laughs> the reason how do, why... How do you like ramp into Sea Trino now that Death Watch is gone? Veteran Explorer and Noble Hierarch. Oh... Uh, Oh, okay. So why you're not playing a traditional Nickfit? Uh, assuming you're not playing Deed. Um, I'm still playing Deed. I'm still doing it all. So <laughs> um, you're still playing Veteran Explorer. You're still playing Cabal Therapy because those cards are still not bad. Um, however, you still ramp into a four-five Lightning Helix, which is still it seems to be, again looking at the meta and not yet playing in it seems to be okay. However, I've had to tweak the list a little bit because. There are some cards that are not good and some cards that are good. So Deathrite Shaman obviously gave you a clock, it gave you acceleration, it gave you everything that you ever wanted, but you don't get to have that anymore. So I cried. Long nights. <laughs> myself to sleep. So the real question is, what do you add in the new sets? Well, we got Assassin's Trophy. We got Last Hope a while ago, which has obviously yeah, been, seeing, Last Hope, yeah. been seeing quite a bit of play, and Night of Autumn. So, Assassin's Swiss Trophy... Army Knight. Yeah, the Swiss Army Knight. I like that. That's pretty good. So, Assassin's <laughs> Trophy seems pretty good, at least for me, because before you always had trouble dealing with Jaces, with Anglers, with whatever, and you were playing this suite of removal spells, a little this, a little that, a little path, a little abrupt decay, a little deed, because you're trying to hit everything. And Assassin's Trophy does hit basically everything you want it to hit. It hits the Chalices or, or whatever they're trying to play against you, which doesn't end up working, but anyway, that's another. Uh, mostly, you were you were always sad to see like anglers on the other side of the board. You're like, oh, what do I do against this angler? What do I do against a jace? What do I do? So, before you would maybe have to play maelstrom pulse or just kind of ignore the jace, and hopefully you can get there. But now you can actually hit jace pretty reliably and at instant speed, which is quite important. And we're playing Night of Autumn, or I am playing Night of Autumn, because it does everything you need to do, and Rexage is hot garbage compared to this card. So that's... Oh, I wish... Imagine <laughs> if they had printed it as an elf. Oh, God. I would be so happy. That's why they didn't print it, just for you. I mean, it looks like an elf, right? It does, kind of. It's an elf knight, I guess. Anyway, um, however, I have to concede the fact that you need to splash some other color to be hitting, like, the lands-based matchups... Uh, at least in our meta, there are people who play Dark Depths, there are people who play um, 43 lands, because there are numerous people who I sold Tabernacles to back when they were cheaper, and they still own them. So it's a big problem. So, so you, you, you created your own problems? I did. I did. <laughs> mo money, mo problems. That's unfortunately how it went. So actually, so usually uh, back in the day, I would actually splash a little bit of red for Blood Moon, and... Uh, and that actually usually did the trick, because you would go Deathrite, because Deathrite Shaman produced any color of mana. You were fine. Turn two, Blood Moon, get you. Now you don't get to do that. So actually, the big surprise, because this will come out after the tournament, I'm playing Leovold, Emissary of Trust, and I'm playing Back to Basics. Oh, you're playing Back to Basics in Nickfit? Yep. I mean, it, 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 I guess it kind of makes sense. You also play Noble Hierarch, you mentioned. Which I, I play Noble Hierarch. Yeah. I play Assassin's Trophy. I play Path. So... 
you are so it kind of seems like huh actually it doesn't make sense at all but keep keep going <laughs> yeah so you're gonna say like you're giving them all of their basic lands and then you're going to let them play with them well and then yes. step two question mark step three profit Prof <laughs> the thing is is that you are still going to be the deck that whatever deck that you're playing against as long as it's not Azorius Stoneblade or some deck with like eight basic lands you're still going to be the person with six basic lands and they're going to have two basic lands you can also Assassin's Trophy the basic lands that is true. Oh, so, so you're yeah. trapping them, like get them yeah. all out of the deck and make Assassin's Trophy better. You become yeah, like you... a glorious land destruction deck. Is, okay, Matt. Here's the important question: Is there Eternal Witness and Recurring Nightmare in the deck? Uh, there is Eternal Witness. There is a Korean Recurring Nightmare sitting beside my deck box, wondering what will I do with you. So that was going to be my super surprise secret tech. Now that Deathrite Shaman is gone, Recurring Nightmare is definitely a card. Because sometimes you get locked up in the combat step and you're like, what am I going to do with these Siege Rhinos in the graveyard and the Siege Rhino in play? And the answer is drain them repeatedly until they die. Sometimes you get stuck behind a Maze of Ith. What do you do? You Recurring Nightmare. Yeah. However, how do you... I, I could see against Strix's control, for example, Bayful Strix could be, could be a problem for you if you can't find the deed for it. Exactly, but and it is. Recurring Nightmare gives you a way to like deal with it and then get back the Rhino, get back into Rhino action. Exactly. So right now I'm trying out uh, to Liliana, the last hope to see, is that going to be my like Baleful Strix, um, uh, Young Pyromancer kind of hate uh, to kind of like bridge me until I hit deeds, or am I going to be running... Uh, a single recurring nightmare. Now the real question is, like, if I'm running a single recurring nightmare, is that even worth it? I don't run cantrips. You run like Seven Sylvan. Library? You run three Sylvan libraries, which is pretty, Ooh. pretty excellent. Because you have to imagine you're probably blowing up one with deeds, so running three is not bad. So the At question point, is, uh, you, you you get me wondering, do you even want to run deed in the stack? This is not more like a toxic dilute deck. So that and again, that's actually the question: is do I want to be running toxic deluge? And the answer is, I don't know. I might. <laughs> So um, this tournament is kind of a testing ground of like, maybe I just run a bunch of deluge in the deck, but I'm worried that because you already, you you sometimes hit hard with Sylvan Library, you dig deep and maybe you don't hit those rhinos to get your life total back up. Does Toxic Deluge put you in a situation where you just get bolted out of the game by these Delver decks or or these control decks? So I'm curious to see if Pernicious Deed is still putting it pulling its weight. And if it isn't... Um, the next step will be to turn it over into a Toxic Deluge. Okay, um, Matt, uh, we should release a next episode about this, like where you talk about your experiences. Like maybe you should like turn this into a whole whole series, like Mac, Matt, the return of Matt. <laughs> I would love to do that, but and are you go gonna ahead. attend that tournament? Um, driving your new your new wheels. I will not because currently it is snowing and I have the most racetrack oriented tires that they actually put on the car so the chances <laughs> that i could actually make it to the tournament in the car are zero i'm actually quoting that it would be zero percent that i would make it okay and uh, we are mentioning this car because matt recently got uh, matthew you want to tell us you probably know more about i only know that it's a green lotus yes so um back in august right before i left which is actually a terrible idea don't ever do that <laughs> um don't buy something and then leave it doesn't make sense um however uh, I, my other car has been in the shop for a little while, um, so I was getting really desperate uh, because I was driving around Subaru, and as a wonderful vehicle as it is currently because it is snowy and it'll go anywhere, um, I decided that I needed a little bit different of a driving experience, so um, I went to go test drive a Lotus Elise, and it's an amazing driving experience, not that it has any connotation with 
it does have a little bit with magic. Oh, because of course it does. Come on. You, you may... Um, have you seen Matt's license, license plates? If not, you should go to itstudion.com, check out the, the podcast news post, and look at the picture that we got there. So they wouldn't allow me to have Nick Fit as a license plate. So you are only allowed six characters in British Columbia for a custom license plate. Uh, it's six characters and then a space or a hyphen or whatever you want. But you can only have six characters. So but Nick Fit should work. I thought Nick Fit would be great, and it does. And nobody else has it, so it'd be perfect. So I thought, okay, my Lotus is black, white, and green. Okay, um, so obviously that should be fine, yeah, right? That's some real dedication, dude. Seriously, yeah. <laughs> so very important. Um, so um, they wouldn't let me have it because of it could. They said there could be a negative connotation with some other outlandish uh, expression, something to do with their. They said it could be misconstrued, and I'm like, oh, well, I disagree with that. And they said, well, there's no real way that you can contest it, so we're just telling you no. So I said, okay. Oh, oh I think I can see what you're referring Okay, anyway, keep going. <laughs> yeah. So I said, well, what about – they said – because I said – I explained what NickFit was and, you know, how it was – How you know, did you nice. explain that? I went deep. I explained <laughs> – magic i explained nice fit and how it changed to nick fit and that was the and they're like well you can have n-c-e-f-i-t and i'm like well that looks bad right it you know the symmetry of having the two eyes in between each thing it looks better on the license plate and they're like well no you can't have it sorry so i said okay well i could either have junk or bayou the problem is if i put junk on my license plate everybody's gonna think i'm driving around a pile of junk right or i'm criticizing <laughs> the car well, so you, you chose epson i chose bayou so Bayou, cool. yeah. So Bayou was a nickname that a group of friends here gave for me because all I do is play Bayous in every deck that I've basically played in the last little while. So it's black and green. That's actually not very flattering. I know they say it's because I'm a swamp. <laughs> so um, unfortunately, mangrove sumpf is too long for the license plate. So yeah, I have to go with Bayou. Okay, that's that's pretty cool. Caleb, how how are you gonna get to your tournament tomorrow? Oh, I'm not playing one tomorrow. I was saying if there was a GP tomorrow. Oh, if there was yeah. a GP. Oh, and yeah. speaking of GPs, by the way, um, this I don't want to talk about this too much because I think it actually warrants is, um, an entire episode of its own. But, Matt, did you hear about like all the recent organized play changes that have been implemented for Magic? I heard that they will be called Magic Fests, and I died inside. <laughs> <laughs> and did you also hear that the Pro Tour is now a Mythic uh, Championship? No. What? What are they doing yeah. to my game? Not uh, it my sounds DCI. Like straight out not of my. Yeah, I don't know. This seems weird. Like first they took away my pre-releases, okay, and those were amazing. Okay. When we, well, they changed, right? They used to be more in like a conventional scenario, and then the stores kind of took them over, and that was okay, fine. I understand what they want to do, and then now they're taking away my GPs. I don't know. But technically, the GPs still exist. So if you attend a Magic Fest and. I still can't believe they... Like, I, I get the general idea that it's going to be that, more about the entire weekend. And that is a terrible name. The, the name is terrible. Uh, I totally agree. But, I mean, I even have some hope that eventually it might actually change. Because, you know, that that's this guy. Um, he runs the Magic Fest Edinburgh, which is like uh, a magician's convention or whatever. He was actually tweeting at Saffron Olive of MTG Goldfish and asking him not to use that name. And then Saffron was like, actually, I have no, I'm not involved with like choosing that name. I'm not even part of Wizards of the Coast. But <laughs> that name is just so bad. But GPs are still going to be a thing and they're going to be part of a Magic Fest. So the weekend is going to be branded as a Magic Fest and have 
hopefully a lot more like things to do and explore um but the gp is still gonna be there but one of the big things they changed is that nobody really knows how to actually properly qualify for the mythic championships which is like the pro tour that we're gonna see from now on um the top 32 players in the world they're part of the magic pro league they are invite invited and those are the players they've got a contract they earn at least seventy-five thousand dollars a year oh wow and in exchange they have to like stream and put up like a couple of basically they have to like be a they're employees an of the game which kind of backfired because like two weeks after it was announced like the one of the guys was immediately disqualified for cheating <laughs> at that tournament. Oh, <laughs> but they they worked it out and they didn't like remove him and they they changed the policy with regards to how to punish him which was like uh, okay but but actually i can see why they did it it's just like the timing was like super bad because it was a reaction to what happened but anyway the big thing is um gps outside of like which honestly to most of us is still the most important thing being like a great competitive experience they don't mean that as much as they used to be anymore because hmm. there's at least as of now there's no such thing as like grinding many gps over a season for like you know pro points to get like silver gold platinum what whatever and a lot of the the grinders like the people who were like on and off the pro tour who who wanted to make it big they don't really know like why should i attend this gp anymore and i, I think at least in the us there i witnessed a trend especially on twitter where people were like you know what i'm actually going to join the sg circus whereas in the past it was like you were this sg grinder like like cherry thompson like bbd they, they used to be like the sg people and then there was like the pro tour crowd and eventually they they made the step onto the pro tour and then they became like pro tour regulars and like world championship competitors or like boycotters in, in, in Cherry's case but now it feels like a lot of people actually going back and they're like you know what I'm I don't know why I should attend these GPs which have like compared to attendance and how much money they cost horrible payout and you can still I think get on the mythic championship if you go x2 but to a lot of people it was also like about it was also about getting that stability of having something like gold which qualified you i think for all the protos in the season and gave you some some money and stuff and like so that is gone and there might be changes by wizards of the coast to still reward people for continuous gp attendance but before i did like before we came to this podcast i did some research and like nobody in blue chat could tell me like <laughs> rich Shea was like oh it's complicated nobody knows and also on twitter nobody really knew so this far gps they lost a lot of value, which hasn't been replaced, and people are confused and sad about that. Hmm. Yeah, there's been very, very little information kind of released to the public at the very least on any of this. It's Everyone's kind of running around headless and just, yeah, has no idea what's going on. And it's been going on for too long that people are now just giving up, I think. I've seen a lot of people saying they're just selling their collection, stopping playing. Or as, as you said, the, a lot of the GP players are just going to move to the SCG tour if they can. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of sad because I honestly still believe that this year has the potential to be probably the biggest year in, in the history of Magic for the growth of the game. Absolutely. Because, yeah, I, I, I am very, very optimistic about that because it's getting so much like spotlight on Twitch. Like, So many more people are viewing Magic, so many more people are playing Magic. And as long as, as they find a way to like actually make it enjoyable for also like the people who are in the middle like not the very beginners and not like the top pros that who are grinding for the pro uh, 
the the mythic championship sorry that's so funny to say <laughs> it's like very good honestly like if, if you're you meet somebody and they're like oh where are you going and i'm like i'm attending the magic pro tour it's like okay pro tour that sounds like pro no i'm going <laughs> to the mythic championship i feel like i'm, I'm dressing up as a wizard and like dancing yeah. around and casting like fairies and stuff <laughs> yeah know. quote unquote like muggles or outsiders they just won't understand it it just sounds ridiculous. Yeah, yeah yeah but I, but i still do believe that like the more eyes there are in magic the more money there will be involved in magic and the better a lot of people will have it um but that doesn't say anything about the way the game is played because like an entirely different discussion is like best of one against versus best of three and how how that is going to work out in the long run and i'm not that optimistic about that because i think in in the very long run it's actually going to create this huge divide between a standard which i think can be tuned to be more playable it's like three best of one matches basically basically eliminating sideboards right whereas like older formats that that's no possibility and i I've think... always felt there was like already a divide between like new school and old school magic and i think it's only gonna gonna get bigger that that's it, certainly a downside it feels like we're gonna be moving away from well they, they call it tabletop as real cards now as well um i can't remember the exact details but i remember seeing a tweet or an article where someone said playing on arena they will be able to like curate different ban lists for different formats on arena especially so there's a very real chance that we have different ban lists for online yeah. and real life yeah, I I think you might have seen my tweet. I actually tweeted about. Oh, that. if it was you, okay. Yeah, so if that becomes real, then we may just see paper phased out at some point in the very eventual future. I mean, I'm not sure, but but that's yeah, kind that, of the that's, whole point that, that for thing me. That's actually making people uncomfortable, right? Absolutely. Because yeah. part of it is having the physical interaction with not only your friends and seeing them in person, but like the physical. Yeah. I mean, it's magic the gathering to be cheesy, but yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, going back to the thing about GPs, uh, I, I've, I've recently made a statement that some people probably didn't understand correctly, and honestly, it's been kind of phrased that way, intentional, and that is that I think there are too many GPs or Magic Fests. Actually, let's say GPs. There's too many GPs right now, and that probably sounds weird, so let me explain that, because I honestly do believe that in order to like be enjoyable to everyone, Wizards should emulate a tournament system that's used by most esports right now. And that is to have like these big tournaments, like um, most other um, games call it majors or whatever you want to call it. We call them Magic Fest. No, we call them Mythic Championships. <laughs> and four, I think we're going to have like four or five a year or something. I think four, five, maybe even six sounds like a good idea. Uh, but then below that, I think we do have too many GPs because like if GPs are not going to be as meaningful anymore and people are actually like feeling the value you get at the GP isn't as great as it used to be. I, I mean, I still remember playing constructed GPs for like 25 euros and then like what, like 80 euros or something. I don't even know. They're very um, pricey. Yeah. I actually do believe that GPs would be more attractive to attend. For example, if in our region, we had like in Europe, uh, this is just a figure I'm putting out of my ass. If there were only like eight GPs, I don't know, maybe maybe you already have that many, maybe but maybe something like five to six GPs a year. And going to the GP would be like a really big thing. Like right now, it's like you even just sometimes randomly go to a GP if it's in your neighborhood. And uh, I mean, for German, that's kind of hard because you don't get any actual German GPs. But basi basically, what I want to say, what 
what I feel like is you should give more value to individual GPs to make it so that everyone who's like even somewhat close to that GP or could reach that GP really wants to go there. And then you're going to have like your big main event, but you're also going to have like big side events for all the other formats, be it like standard, modern, legacy, even vintage. Like imagine if you if you only had like five GPs in Europe a year and all of those had like really big vintage events. And even if Channel Fireball just breaks even on, on running those, I mean, so many people would attend those. And that that's my idea. Maybe, maybe it's bound, like maybe there's like a limit to how much you can do that because like then you need even bigger convention halls. Uh, but I think that might be doable. But yeah, yeah, that, that, that's my idea. That makes sense to me. I guess they have the power to contextualize how they want it to run. Like, yeah, as you're saying, make it an even bigger thing, but less of them. I don't think people would have a problem with that if they're making the GP worthwhile to go to. They need to, well, the prize support has always been pretty poor for them. And so they need to tell the people what it really is. If it's actually a huge tournament that you, you get a lot of uh, you know, prize money or like, but uh, up until recently, they just felt like very large PTQs to an extent. So they really were just grinding tournaments. You'd have the same people going to every single GP trying to spike an X2 to qualify for the Pro Tour. If that's what the GPs were going to be about, then I don't think people would have a problem with that either. Like They don't need it to be a big flashy event. Although, as you were saying, I think that's what they should focus on because Magic is very much becoming not about the grind and not about the Pro Tour. It's becoming this esports thing, as they say. But yeah, I think, I think this is where people are kind of losing a lot of faith as well, this lack of communication on what these events mean to them and what they mean to the people and what the people should be doing yeah. for it. Yeah, because I'm, I'm looking at it as a way of like, like, you know, there's different stepping stones in your magic career, like different places or like sizes of tournaments you attend. And in the past, it usually used to be like FNM and then probably like, I think the way it was intended for Wizards, even straight to a GP. And then once you got hooked, you maybe even to the Pro Tour. And when I say I think there's too many GPs, I think if they really reduce the number of GPs and make them more attractive to begin with, and really like the thing you just have to attend if you somehow can, because right now a GP doesn't feel like that at all. Like the value of a GP feels very much watered down. Yeah. But if the GP was like the big thing, like the the, the the thing you had to just like be there, I think also a lot of people in my in my neighborhoods um, who play Magic but don't really like see the value of going to a GP might eventually go because they're like, they're quote unquote too big for our local meta game, but they're still too small to become like a regular GP grinder. And then with there being like so many GPs, they, they don't even see like the value in going there. But if it was like a much better experience and offered a lot more things for them, then they might go. That makes but sense. What yeah. I want to add to that is, I also believe like if you actually did decrease the number of GPs and made them a little bit more attractive, I also think that you should really, really strengthen like local scenes. Like for example, Southern Germany, whatever, uh, or like in, in your case, like like Greater London or something. Like to provide something to, for example, shops, like the smaller TOs, not like the big nationwide TOs, to run tournaments, maybe even like bring back something such as like regionals. I think in the US, Star City Games has been running regionals, which used to be like like a Wizards of the Coast thing, like many, many moons ago, but now it's not anymore. Because right now, like our stores, they just do FNMs, but they never really do like slightly bigger tournaments. My, I mean, they do offer like modern legacy at times, for example, but it's... I remember a time when like we had these these larger tournaments where people from far away travel to and that's not happening anymore and 
I mean, in the end, it's it's for the store. It's about whether they make money or they don't make money. But maybe there's a way for Wizards to actually like give back to the stores and incentivize the stores, or even like Wizards themselves create like a regional network. Even though I think it's much easier to organize to by by the local, but almost more call that authorities on on how to run tournaments. Yeah, the, the impression I've got from speaking to local TOs here is that Wizards just aren't interested in that. Um, unless they're like pushing their agenda. There was a big thing that came up when one of our biggest TOs, or probably arguably the biggest TO in England, which is they called Axion Now, they've been very, very strong pushes for a big legacy scene. They've run 100 to 200 plus people tournaments with like giving away 30, 40 plus jewels. They've done a lot for legacy in England and um, they run nationals and each nationals they put on big mega modern mega legacy events and Wizard the Course to told them not to play to have a legacy side event like it just wasn't part of their agenda and they told them they weren't going to run nationals if they didn't allow them to do it which was great I mean it's the same for Magic Cup Market right <clears throat> yeah they've yeah. been struggling for so long to get premier status for for like the big tournaments and even to this day, like Wizards gives it to pretty much all the tournaments they run, but yeah. not for Legacy. And they even like they made a point to reach out to Magic Card Market to tell them, right, you will only ever get like premier status if you if you start offering like limited and like standard. And and MKM was like, well, our Legacy tournaments puts pull in like hundreds of players, whereas the standard tournament pulled like forty. Mm. <laughs> this, this is what they're known for, and people don't like people are going to the GPS for their events. And if they're doing away with that, maybe the MKMs are going to fill up with standard more, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, MKM has already grown their, their standard attendance from what I've seen, but there's also like, it's also a factor that like they don't get as many legacy players anymore, which is unfortunate, but that's also like um, a product of, of them not always having the most attractive cities to run tournaments and which yeah. in turn is a problem because like apparently like venues are really, really expensive, so they can't always mm -hmm. go to Barcelona or wherever you want to go. So they go to like Bologna or Saragossa and it's like, okay. But yeah, I'm, I don't even want to get too deep into that. I mm -hmm. Just the way I imagine a very, very viable, healthy esports even focused future for Magic is to like, you have your FNM, maybe you even rebrand FNM. I don't know. You have your local thing where you go to. Then there's like a step up. There's like this regional thing, which is still very much organized by the local stores or people. Then you have your GPs, which is like the must-attend format for, or like the must-attend event for anyone who's not a pro. And even if you're a pro, you might want to go. But if you're a pro, you actually you go to the Mythic Championships. And the Mythic Championships, you're e either you're already qualified for, or you arrive like one or two days early and you try to qualify through pools, which is like the way it works for a lot of esports. Like you get these guys who are seeded into the group stage, and then out of the group stage, you enter the double elimination tournament, and then on the loser side. There's the people coming in from like the so-called open bracket. That, that, that's pretty much how it works for like StarCraft, how it works for even like Street Fighters and stuff. And uh, like that's the future I would really see because that, like that's the tried and true formula for esports. And I really think Wizards should do something like that. We tried something like that in the Legacy Premier League, where we also ran pools into a double elimination bracket. And from the feedback we got, people really liked it quite a bit, and also the players. It also like helped us showcase a lot more decks, which is probably something you couldn't do in, in a Mythic Championship because people are bound to play the same deck over and over again. But overall, the structure, I think, really lends itself to like being a good esports framework to work with. As, as a viewer, I loved watching it as well. It added a, yeah, different elements to the usual kind of just best of three things, and just, as well the structure, as you say, of Swiss and things. Yeah.
Yeah. Okay. So, Matt, you mentioned you, you had to doctor Matt. But, but Matt, did you get your, your doctor by now? Are you like a doctor, Matt? I have been so since May of 2018. Why didn't you tell me? I'm pretty sure I told you. No? Yeah, okay. So, then I forgot. I'm so sorry. It's okay. <laughs> oh, Dr. Matt P. in the house. Okay, guys. Thank you so much. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up here. I really want to provide some shout out to Matthew Klaus, who uh, I hope I, I pronounce your name the German way. Maybe the, the American way would be close. I don't know. What, how do you <laughs> spell it? K L O W S. Klaus? I don't know. Yeah. Klaus. He sent us some feedback that he enjoys the cast quite a bit, and he asked about the new episode when it was going to come out. And I promised him that we were working on that. So here's to you, Matt. And Matt <laughs> and oh, Caleb. Yes. Thanks for being part of the cast tonight. And see you again next time for the second half of our 100 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Next time, Rhino time. I went everybody's head about the bird. Bird, bird, bird. Bird's a winner, well, a bird, bird, bird. Bird is a winner, well, a bird, bird, bird. Well, a bird is a winner, well, a bird, bird, bird. Bird's a winner, well, a bird, bird, bird. Well, a bird is a winner, well, a bird, bird. Bird's a winner, well, Yeah, 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 yeah